Morning, 8 o'clock. Oh, can I hear that one more time? Good morning, 8. Oh, you don't know what it does for my heart to hear all those lovely voices. And you're hearing multiple of mine. How are we doing there, Siri? Okay. Um, is it still feeding back? Right. You can still hear a little bit of echo. Whilst they're fine-tuning my lovely voice, I want to just give honor to the Lord for what He's doing in our church, or His church, actually. Lord, this morning, we just recognize your preserving grace over SBC. This is your work, Lord. You've kept your people. You've turned their hearts towards you. You've kept their ears open and their eyes alert. Lord, you have loved this body so well. And I'm so grateful as we get to be together this morning, as the 8 o'clock, we get to enjoy your grace. Lord, we're going to hear how yeah, you require us to respond to you, but your posture to us is one of help and ever-present help in times of need. And Lord, as a church this morning, we just marvel at the way you are keeping us, sustaining us, leading us, and enriching us in every way. Lord, you are the greatest leader that we could ever ask for Jesus. And so, Lord, as we come around your word this morning, it's such a joy to be led by you. You're our hope, Lord. You're our banner, as Tracy shared. You are our authority. And what a husband, what a master, what a king, what a friend this morning. And we feel secure in you this morning, Jesus. So help us, we pray. We're grateful for all that you're doing in our hearts. Amen. Amen. Let's open up to Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 34. Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 34. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And this is Jesus speaking. He's, he's just completed one of four parables. We're going to do the, the next three this morning. So this is parable number two uh, from verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And this is the last or fourth parable this morning. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. I want to remind you what's happening here. It's a massive change in Jesus' preaching. Mark chapter 4 is when Jesus moves from preaching plainly to switching into preaching according to parables. And parables are stories with a veiled meaning. They're not easy to understand. And it came through again here in verse 34 of chapter, uh, chapter 4. It says, He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. His disciples had revelation from Jesus. But those not really willing to follow Jesus or be interested in his words, it was veiled to them. 
And it was a sign of judgment upon those listening to Jesus. I want to remind you today, friends, the greatest honor that can happen to a human being is to have revelation, is to have the Spirit reveal what the flesh cannot discern. When truth comes into your life, it is a gift from God. And they had rejected this gift over and over. And the result we said last week is a spiritual principle which the parables represent. The longer truth is resisted, the harder it is to discern. And that's why Jesus says to you, disciples who are interested in my words, it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand as they should turn and be forgiven. And this is why the parable of the sower is so important. Because it stresses the importance of how our response to revealed truth affects how it takes root and effects change in our lives. Our response is critical. It is critical. And it determines whether it produces any fruit at all, and then whether or not we decide to hold it in a, hold it fast in a good and honest and heart with patience, it produces either 30 or 60 or 100 fold. But Jesus is stressing that how we choose to respond to God's word in our lives has a direct impact on its fruitfulness. And today we're gonna to look at three more parables and they are beautiful. And I want to remind you this morning, if Jesus is preaching everything in parables and Mark only chooses four of them, they're really important, right? So I want you to pay careful attention because these are hand-picked for you. And if you can grasp them, they will change your life. And so we're gonna look at parable number two this morning. The first was parable of the sower. I mean, look at, going to look at parable number two, which is the lamp under the basket, and the two are one. I want you to think of these parables as being divided into two. The first two stress one side of the coin, which is this. Your response to God's word is essential in it moving forward in your life. God is not going to do that for you. He is faithful to bring the words. Your faithfulness is how you are going to respond to it. And the parable of the sower, you can listen to it last week, explains it beautifully. But this lamp under the basket goes a step further. He's going on the same theme. Listen to what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And there's that chilling words again. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If you can hear this morning, my friend, you must respond. And what this parable has got to do with is the word illumination. I want you to look up in, at these lights in the ceiling. Can you see them? They are illuminating this room. If I switch them off and we close all these blinds and windows, it becomes dark. It becomes hard to see. But when you bring a lamp into a room it illuminates it brings light it shines so that you can see clearly that's the purpose of a lamp and these lamps that jesus were talking about in those days they were portable they were of pottery they had a little wick they had oil and you carried them around the house they weren't fixtures like these but you could choose where you put the lamp and where you chose to put the lamp determined how far it shone into the room now, Jesus is getting to the same theme as the parable of the sower here. He's speaking about what you choose to do with God's light that he brings into your life by his word. He gives you the lamp. You have the light. But how you choose to respond has a direct impact on its effectiveness. And he's not talking here again. I just want to clarify. He's not talking about Matthew 5 where he says, you are the light of the world. That he's not talking about us. He's talking about the word coming into our lives and what we choose to do with it. And friends, the word coming into your life, truth revealed by the spirit is like a light switching on. Now, unless this is, has happened to you, you won't really know what I'm talking about, but I'm hoping if it hasn't happened to you, it's going to happen today. God's word acts differently or is experienced differently to good advice and interesting things in the world around us. When God's word comes into your life, it is as if a light is switched on in your mind and you go, oh, 
I never saw that before. And it happens. If you read your Bible regularly, it would happen. You know, I have heard the parable of the sower last week how many times. But didn't God speak something new to you last week? He did to me. And you read it and you go, we even use the language. I never saw that before. Because you see, friends, the light is not self-generated. No matter how much you dance on your toe, no light is going to pop out of your head to shine. It is God coming into your life, and it doesn't have to be a Damascus Road experience, but it is as if when that truth hits your head and heart, you see clearly. And it, to, the measure of its profoundness determines how much it grips you, and it can come wonderfully. It doesn't have to be a conviction of sin. Have you ever had that experience of when suddenly you see God's love like you never saw before, and it just warms your heart? You realize you lived... My ancient years, people laughed at me. Was it at the 8 or the 10 last week when I said how old I was? I'm 36. I just turned 36. After 36 years, you see something for the first time. You can't believe it. I've lived all these years without that. That's what truth is like. Or when it's a conviction of sin, let me tell you, God has a funny way of being so kind to us but not showing everything that we are in one go. Thank the Lord for that. Because when he shows it, you go, I've been living like that my whole life. But when the truth comes, my friend, it is glorious because it is as if a light is switched on in your head and heart and it produces the opportunity to respond. And today, Jesus is saying, Sterling, Sterling, the glory of God's light coming into your life is in your hands. It's the most wonderful opportunity to, to steward something that no money can buy. I want to stress that no intellect gets by nature, no power or prominence in this world. It is God's mercy coming into your life when His Word shines, His implanted Word comes, the Word of heaven from the lips of heaven to you, to your hearts, and you have an opportunity to steward it. It is like a lamp in your hand. And what are you going to do with it this morning? You see, Jesus says there's, there's, there's a couple of options. And the first is you could put it under a basket or under a bed. And that might sound crazy because who would do that to a light, right? But we do. And again, I, I want to nudge you. This is, a bit of a this is the challenging parable before he flips the coin. But unless we realize that we are in this story, that this parable is for us, and how we respond not only to the seed but to the light, we are going to miss the blessing. What does it mean when God gives you a lamp that you put it under a basket or under the bed? It means you prefer the darkness in your life. And if we're really honest, remember... What the seed requires is an honest heart. An honest heart. Friends, if we are honest with ourselves this morning, we know that when the light has come, it may be now, you can look back in the past, praise God for His mercy in keeping it coming, but there are times when we prefer the darkness. What does that mean? Well, let's, let's translate that into how we relate to light in our lives. <laughs> the first is, Often when the light comes on, some more than others, is you don't want to wake up. Ever had that? Someone walks in, switches on the light. Oh, my eyes, don't bring the light. I want to carry on sleeping. Now, I'm sure none of you are like that, right? Some more than others. But that is the first way that we love darkness. Friends, we want to stay asleep. We want to stay warm in our beds. We want to stay comfortable. We don't want to get up and change. And light has a way of waking us up. And to, this morning, if, if God is, has he, if he's got your heart this morning, and he's, guys, God's presence is here, I can sense him moving in you. I can sense a warmness to Christ. But it's going to be a light that shines into your heart, and you're going to need to wake up. You're going to need to respond to him. And friends, when we love comfort more than the call of the kingdom, it is loving darkness more than light. The warmth of our beds, the warmth of 
the, the comfort of the darkness, of not needing to be active in anything, of not needing to respond to anything. It is this place of sleep. Friends, if that is you this morning, if you are sleepy and God's words coming by His light and shining into your heart, respond, my friend, because comfort will keep you in the darkness. The call of the kingdom will make you love the light. But what else do we see is when the light shines, oh goodness, it shows you what the room really looks like, right? And if you're like me, that room is not always the neatest. It faces you, it presents you with the reality of what needs to change before God. And loving the darkness is when the Spirit comes into your life, and He does, not just through you reading your Bible, but through ordinary life, His promptings. You know what you say, what you think, what you do. And He nudges you, and you say, I'm not responding to it. Loving the darkness is denial. It is denial. It's when you are hard to reach by being getting, you are hard to get to face the reality of what is really there in the room of your heart and in your life. There's one more of the way that we love the darkness, the way that we can put something under the basket or hide it under the bed. There's a secretiveness to this light, hiding it, putting it under a basket. Have you ever been one of those people who, maybe I remember being up at night and my light's not supposed to be on. And my parents walk past going, hey, switch your light off. Or before they see you, you can hear. We used to, we luckily changed from carpets to tiles, and you could hear the. You run, you, you switch the light off, because you're ashamed of it being on. And there is a certain kind of pressure the Christian feels about light. When someone comes, you secretive, you hide it, you're ashamed. That's what it's like to love the darkness. It's not just God revealing His truth for you to change inwardly. It's for you to do something publicly. And we love the darkness when we love comfort, when we deny, and when we're ashamed. But friends, this morning, we don't want to be like that. Jesus said, he asks as a rhetorical question. It's, he is trying to help us see what is the right response to light. Just as seed needs soil, a lamp needs a stand. And he says, our response of how we, we don't want to respond like that. I mean, if that's you this morning, just repent of it, say, and get over quickly. God's not putting a heavy on you saying, hey, come, come, enjoy the light of God's word in your life. Make a spacious place for it by putting it on a stand. What does it mean to put something on the stand? Well, put a lamp on a stand. It means to allow it to have its maximal effect in your life. And the way we do that is, is when you put something up on a stand, you value it. You see what it really is there for, and it's beauty, it's necessity. It's this, without this light, you realize you're in darkness, and so you value it as being the only thing that is the difference between you and the darkness. That's what it's like. The only difference between you literally going to hell or going to heaven is the moment God shone His light into your heart by the Spirit and revealed Christ to you and said, you've got to change, my boy, my girl. You've got to come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It was the light that rescued you from darkness. Amen. So is it now. The only thing keeping you from sin, the only thing keeping you from losing your eternal reward, the only thing keeping you from Satan and his influences is the glory of God's faithfulness to bring light. And the right response is to see that when God shines His light, it is manna from heaven. Otherwise, I'll die in the wilderness. It is light. Otherwise, I'll perish in the darkness. It is clarity of mind. Otherwise, I'm confused. It is literally a means of rescue. But we also understand its purpose. You know, that's what Jesus is saying. A person who puts a lamp under a basket or bed doesn't understand its purpose doesn't relate to it in a way that's helpful because they don't get what it's there for. Ah, but the person who puts it up on a lamp, uh, up on a stand, they get what the purpose of the light is. And the purpose of the light is this, is that you might see clearly and be able to live for God.
You see, the problem that we have as 21st century Christians is we've got a, a warped relationship to the light. Please hear me this morning. When your view of God's words in your life are there merely as a pep talk to help me through the day, when it's there just as my little Scots emulsion, you're never going to relate to the light. This light is about where you are from, who God is, what this world was created for, what you were designed for, God's plans and purposes from the start of creation to the end, where it's all going, where our rescue is, what we know is our future, where we have such a sense of this light. It's not merely for me to get through my aches and pains with my boss and these things. Yeah, they're there. But friends, it calls you to a much bigger picture. And to relate to the light is to relate to its fullness. We want it up on the stand where we realize that God is speaking to us about history. He's speaking to us about the church. He's speaking to us about the future. He's speaking to us about our glory. He's speaking to us by the Spirit for things much bigger than ourselves. And a narrow-minded Christian is someone who is satisfied to open up one or two words of Scripture and to read a little Scotsy emulsion dose and to think that is the light of God's Word in their life. Friends, this light shines into nations. Amen? This light shines into culture. It shines into language. It shines into every part of human existence. It's a massive light. It's much bigger than just the feelings of the morning. It is something that's calling you to an eternal perspective. And as your eldership this morning, church, we want you to live with a big view of the light, of the glory of God. Amen? We want you to see that this word is not just for the aches and pains of the soul. Oh, the real medicine for the soul is to see the greatness of the God who's called it to himself. The real medicine for your life is not to get the ugly boss out of your life. It's to see the boss who's over all things, who can overrule that boss, who gives you your money, who sustains your life. The real medicine for the soul is to see the grandeur of your salvation. Friends, this is what the light will do. And the right response is to put it on the stand. Amen. Because what that means is it's not just seeing its value. It's not just seeing its purpose. Oh, it is a posture where you're not afraid where the light's going to shine. Are you this morning? Is there some area of your life? where you are just going, God, please do not shine there. Can I invite you into the real space of freedom? Truth doesn't come to separate and condemn. Truth comes for true freedom. The truth sets us free. And the way that we live a life of freedom is a clear conscience where we say to this God of heaven and earth, he sees it anyway. I don't know why we think we can fool him into our, by, by trying to keep in the darkness. I, I'll read a scripture just now. He can see it anyway, and he's moving towards you anyway. What are you waiting for this morning? Why are you rejecting him? Why are you pushing him away when your father is coming to you saying, hey, there's a space in your life for a deeper freedom. You see, the one who values the light and understands its purpose yields to it. And I want to ask you this morning, are you yielding to the light of God's words coming into your life? They're there. What did the disciples recognize about Jesus? Was he the fun police? I love what Steve Roth was like. No, he wasn't. He said, where are you guys going to go? He said to his disciples. They said, we're not going anywhere. Why? Because you alone have the words of, of love, life. You see, this is something interesting. We're going to unpack a little bit quicker. But I just have to say, friends, the, 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 what Jesus is saying is you get the lamp by God's grace. What you choose to do with it has an impact on its effectiveness. And this is the point, is how we respond to God's words shining into our life either lead to increased blessing or increased blindness. Just like the seed either dies in the first three soils or produces 30, 60, 100 fold, so the word of God, when placed on a stand in a person's heart, has the power to produce light to see clearly, or if it's hidden away, it leads to blindness. And I want to make the point this morning that as Christians, we must never underestimate 
the blessing of what a clear mind can produce. You see, what we're ultimately talking here is you either have the option of living with a clear mind before the Lord because you can see by responding to His light, or you live in confusion. And the two are vastly different. I, I don't have a lot of time, but I do want to point out to you the great blessing of light is clarity. You can see. The great curse of its absence is confusion and darkness you can't see. And we have, an, we have the opportunity as believers, and I want to make the opportunity at the end for the one who is not yet a believer, because you're going to see something clearly, God willing, by the end of this sermon. But for those who have already seen, didn't Jesus change your life the first time you saw him clearly and responded to him? Suddenly you started living for a different reason. You had a different hope. You had a different authority. You had a different wisdom. You had a different way of processing the decisions of your life. Suddenly he called you much higher to just being a nice person. He was calling you to himself to be like Christ. He started, he, he started to not make you trust your hands and your effort. You started to trust the promises of God. Friends, the moment Christ began to reveal himself to you, you began to see life in a radically different way. You could start seeing clearly. Now, friends, the point is this. You can either move forward in that clarity or you can grow in blindness based on what you decide to do with the light. One of the effects of suppressing God's word is not just death, spiritual lifelessness. The seed dies. There's no life. It is blindness. And one of the ways you can recognize you are not good with God, please listen to me this morning. I want to be helpful to you. One of the ways that you can recognize you are not good with God is you cannot remember him clearly. You've lost sight of your salvation, of him as father. He becomes a murky space in your life. And even when you try and pray to him, there's no confidence. There's no clarity. Because even, I'm not talking about just an absence of his presence. The Christian can feel it. But the Christian who understands what he's after, who he's after, why he's here, will persevere in the understanding of he's not doubting in the darkness what he's seen in the light. But the backslider, friends, is in a dangerous position because God is not only murky to him in the form of an absence of life, he's murky to him in the absence of clarity. And that is the danger. The longer you go down the path of backsliding and the further God feels reachable in a sense of his clarity and character and person and truth, the harder it is to recover. And if the grace of God is coming to you this morning and he's reminding you through this worship, through the prayers, through the word of who God is and the summoning call of the kingdom, you must respond to him. You must, my friend, because when you leave this place and you continue to suppress by denial, comfort, or being ashamed, you will find that it gets harder and harder to remember who you are in Christ where you are going, and what you are here for. And your life will get narrower and narrower and narrower, and the things of this world is all you will have. It's a terrible place to be. Oh, I'm being very straight with you this morning because we want a better end for you, Sterling. But the result of a person who dies by choking the word or by denying the light is one who just eventually lives what the world lives because that's all that they can actually see. That's all that they actually have left to enjoy in inverted commas. What matters to them is a narrower, colder existence. How much money can I earn? What clothes do I have in my closets? how much my pension is going to be. These are the things that the world knows only to enjoy. And that's what a backsider becomes. Because Not because they are, are, are stupid, not because they're unintellectual, but because they are blind. The things that drove them and motivated them in their hours of life and responsiveness to Christ has grown cold and narrow and dark. And isn't it interesting that in the end, it leads to disaster. 
Because, you see, here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus says the light's going to shine in your life whether you like it or not. The mercy of God to bring light now before you stand before him is considered the greatest gift you can receive. Notice it switches. I never saw this before, but whenever you see the word for, it says in verse 22, after saying this thing about either hiding it under the bed or in the basket or putting it on the, on the stand, it says for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. What Jesus is saying here is, guys, as God's light shines into your heart, you prize it because it's his mercy. You can adjust now, but there's going to come a day, if you don't, that your life and the quality of its works and its standing before the Lord is going to be revealed anyway. God's light's going to shine, but the difference is you will not be able to adjust then. We will get to the other side of the coin, but we do have to realize that this gospel, we work out with fear and trembling, church. What that means is that the consequences of obedience vastly outweigh the consequences of disobedience. The Lord wants you to put the light on the stand now so that you get commendation on the day. And the commendation will be this. The well done will be this. You lived in the light. Well done. You responded to my word in your life. Well done. You lived off the words coming from God. The one who doesn't, 1 Corinthians 3 says, it's, it's like hay, straw, and stubble. Your, your life will pass through the light of God's fire. And it's not that our position is under threat. No. But it's what we were designed for in being given this position in Christ. It was for a purpose. And friends, that purpose is connected to obedience, to responding to God's word. That's why the parable of the sower matters. That's why the parable of the lamp under the basket matters. Because although God's word and power has come into your life, now that you are born again, now that you are regenerate, you are called to live for Jesus. You are called to respond to the light of God's word. And as you respond, friends, it leads to great reward. Friends, there, is, there are two sides to this, this salvation. The one is, we don't want to be those that are getting blinder and blinder. What for? Honestly, this morning, I ask you, what is the alternative life to Christ? Nothing. It's wheat. It's chaff. It's not a decision for the Christian because you can see clearly, if I'm going to neglect Jesus, what is the response going to be? It's going to be disaster. I'm going to run after things I can't take with me when I die. I'm going to be motivated by fear, a construct of a world that knows nothing of a promised provider. I'm going to live in a way that is going to have zero impact eternally. When you start to see that's the blessing of God's word, and you start to decide, well, which way I'm going to live, there's no decision in it, really, because in the end, only one way prospers. Only one way. Now, I want to remind you, it is responding to what I'm going to say requires faith. But what is waiting for you, Christian? What is waiting for you in Jesus' well done is going to vastly outweigh anything that this world could possibly offer in competition. I want you to close your eyes for a moment and imagine yourself before the Son of God and all of creation and the acknowledgement forever echoing into eternity of Jesus saying to you personally, marking you out from all the crowds for your faithfulness to respond to His word. It will be the greatest moment of your life. And my second point is this, is you can be absolutely confident God will help you get there. You see, Jesus flips the coin. Oh, the first side was what we have to do to respond, how we need to respond to God's word. But then it flips over and says, don't you know what God will do for you if you do? I am so grateful Mark chose these four because for me, they don't leave me going, oh my word, this is all on me. 
In actual fact, it's one coin, but God flips it over. And if you just took these, two par- these next two parables on their own, it looks like it's all on God. Let's read parable number three, the seed growing. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This parable teaches us how the kingdom works in the person who responds to the word of God. It's the most exciting thing. It's the one who holds the word with a good, honest heart and with patience. It's the one who puts the light on the the lampstand. It's what happens when seed falls in good soil. It's explaining the fourth category of how 30, 60, and 100 fold gets produced in the life of the believer. And up until this point, I would not blame you if you felt that these parables were really heavy and hard because it felt like it's all on you, not so? That's right. But now we're starting to see, this guy goes, the seed came, I prepared the soil as a farmer, and unbeknownst to him, as he's waking up and sleeping, a very ordinary thing, as he's going about his ordinary day, man, he starts to see the shoot come up. He starts to see the stalk come up. He starts to see the head come up and the grain. And all of a sudden, there's a harvest. He's going, I I got prepared the soil. Yes, I I did some of the work, but my goodness, look at the results. Friends, this is how it works. If you are going to live out God's purpose for you, which is a godly life, the ratio is 100% you but then it's also 100% God. And you get the better end of the bargain. That's how it works. You bring 100%. God brings 100%. And man, you get all of Him. Now, it's, it's Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. Didn't you ever, if you ever listen to this carefully, don't you get a bit confused by it? It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you always obey, there's your response. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's doing the work? Is it me or is it God? Well, it's both, my friends. And the summary this morning, this evil watch, is telling me I need to hurry up. I hear you, Rose, don't worry. Oh, but you're not going to hear this again. Not for a long time. Is we need the seed. God needs the soil. We need the lamp. God needs the lampstand. And when the two come together, it is glorious. And The wonderful thing about this is, if you will take God's word seriously, he will help you. Please stay with me. God has an amazing way of giving what you need when you need it to do what he asks you to do. Just think about it. Here is the soil. The seed gets planted. Does the farmer have control over the weather? Does the the farmer have control over how the seed miraculously and genetically knows what to do? Does Does he have control over the amount of sun it needs? Does he have control over the amount of rain it needs? Does he have the control over the amount of natural disasters that need to be prevented? And friends, that seed is so vulnerable in the soil. And yet, even though it's at the mercy of nature, it produces fruit. And friends, that's what we are like. We just produce the soil. We just produce the lampstand. Oh, but wonders of wonders, there is power when God steps into a life that responds to his seed and to his life. And the results are almost, almost, it's mysterious. Too much sun kills the seed. Too much rain drowns it. Too little rain drowns You think about the, the incredible balance of nature and how nature is able to nurture that seed up into a full harvest. Friends, do you know that you are in the hands of a merciful God that knows how much rain you need, how much sun you need, how much soil? It, doesn't, he, it knows perfectly. It, he knows perfectly what you need in order to produce a harvest. I don't like doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
I'm going to be a bit personal with you. You know, your, your pastors have just as much sin to face as you do. And this week, by Thursday morning, I was grumpy. Have you ever been grumpy in your soul? And I'm not talking, ha, 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 grumpy, like dwarf grumpy, like grumpy. Like the Lord going, this is what it was like facing the Israelites when they complained bitterly in the wilderness. And there I am, and one of our small group members on a Thursday, Sue, posts a scripture on the WhatsApp group. And it's Philippians chapter 4. Whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is acceptable, think on these things. You know how much I needed that? Coming to the Lord this week going, Lord, I am angry. I am struggling. And the Lord's saying, you come talk to me. He doesn't do that very often. He expects me to talk to him anyway. And he starts to minister to me gently. He brings the reins of the Spirit. As I go through the day, I have people in conversation. It is, it is amazing. If you have eyes to see and ears to, to hear, you'll see his help everywhere. You're not alone. You're not alone. And the remarkable thing about this God is He not only takes responsibility for sowing the seed, He takes responsibility for its growth as well. And friends, gratitude in your life will help you see this day in and day out. You will recognize there is this force, there is this power that is pushing you, that is helping, that's picking you up when you don't deserve it, that's refreshing you when you passed, that leads you where you need to go, when you're stuck and you're going, God, I don't know what. He brings the light you need. He brings the rain you need. He brings the sun at just the right time. In just the right quantity, so much so that you look back like that, that farmer and over the, the season of sowing and harvest, it's a long time, you go, this could only be God. This could only be Him. How can it be? I was there and now I am here and I don't even know quite how I did. I had a good heart. I wanted to please Him. I had an honest heart. I let Him speak to me. I held fast to what He gave me and sometimes I didn't hold fast so much, but I got up by patience. I carried on and the work of God over the years looking back and saying, this harvest can only be Him. Can I tell you a story? She doesn't know I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Taking liberties this morning. Tracy DBS says to me, you know, Matt, one day, I saw guys, it's not just an obedience thing to react to sin. I don't want you to see that there are positive things God's going to ask you to do. And she said, I saw these guys hungry on this corner, and I decided, I'm just going to do something about it. She opened up her boot with soup, and she starts to feed them. That's what God put on her heart. A couple of years later, hundreds of people getting blessed. And if you speak to her, she says, this is me. This is God doing a work through a simple seed moment. God producing from one seed a whole year of seeds that fell down to the ground and produced a whole harvest so that when the sickle comes, this farmer goes, something's been at work here. That is not me. It is God. It is God seeing his work move forward as I took in a simple act of obedience. And friends, it doesn't have to be starting an NGO. It can be coming a person that just shares their testimony. A little testimony dropping a seed. The person gets saved. And all of a sudden, lives start to get changed. The church starts to get impacted because one person responds to out of your obedience to Christ. And the thing about this is God's going to do this in everyday life. Might I just say to you, you don't need to go into the ministry to be a spiritual person. In actual fact, the risk is you'll become even more unspiritual. Because the farmer had to sleep, he had to wake up, and he had to go about the activities of driving that tractor and doing all the stuff that farmers do and it was in that that God was moving. You know that your work desk, desk is your most spiritual place. Those relationships in your work, the family connections, the retirement village where you stay, these places 
God will find you in ordinary life. He's not saying become a monk or a nun. The reason why medieval theology got so bad was because these were the guys telling people how to live when they had no clue how to find God in ordinary life. This God does extraordinary things through the ordinary, my friend, through the one who gets up every day, faithfully serves his family or her family, faithfully gives themselves to work, faithfully gives themselves to relationships, faithfully gives themselves to serving. And in those moments of responding to God's word, God does incredible things. And we are not to be so hard on ourselves this morning. When growth takes a long time, and it does, you celebrate it. Did you notice that there are stages as pharmacies? Oh, there's the blade. That's what it's like for some of us. You are less of a racist you were yesterday. You are less of an unkind person you were yesterday. You are less of an exaggerating white lie person you were yesterday. You are less fearful of men than you were yesterday or the day before. You are more and more like Jesus. Over weeks, over months, you see the blade. You see the stem. You see the ears. You see the grain. You see the harvest. This is how it works. Kingdom growth, friends, is incremental. But its outcome is exponential. And the patient heart is the one who gets to see it. Oh, that's the point of the par parable of the mustard seed. I won't even read it. I'm going to land on this today. Jesus is saying this smallest seed of all the possible seeds you can sow in your garden produces the greatest tree of them all. And what I want to encourage you today, Sterling, is don't wait for Damascus Road experiences for you to start obeying God. It is quality, not quantity, that produces dramatic change. And this morning, it is the quality of the soil. It is the quality of the heart of the lampstand that produces the glorious effect. God's doing it, yes, but you're doing it with him. And this is the, is the smallest seed responded to with even the smallest understanding, but of obedience saying, God, I will apply what you're telling me to do. That's the person. That's the person that gets to see incremental growth that leads to exponential outcome. If Tracy had not responded to that simple prompting, Leah would be nowhere. If my parents had not responded to a simple prompting for their boy and girl to know Jesus, who knows where I would have been? If it was not the simple prompting of being faithful to say sorry, being faithful to go and tell you that your story about Jesus to the other person, of doing your work well with integrity, of obeying the voice of the Lord in the smallest matters of life. Friends, that's what he's interested in. Is the one who will do whatever the light shows and whatever the seed sows. So don't be in a hurry this morning. Don't think that my qualification is to have a doctorate in theology. It won't help you one little bit. That doesn't guarantee revelation. If you have seed from God and light from His Spirit, you are able to start living for Him now. Do it. Go for it. doesn't have to be big. It can be tiny. But friends, don't, don't despise the day of small beginnings, Scripture says. Don't despise the day of learning to follow the promptings and nudgings of the Spirit that seems so insignificant to the world around you, but it's greatly significant to God. The life that takes responding to God's help daily, God's nudging daily, God's work daily, although it might be incremental over a period of time, there will come a harvest and there will be a blessing to others just as the master seed becomes a giant tree in the garden where birds can sit and its shade produces blessing, so it is to a life who takes seriously the word of God coming into it. Will that be you? Because friends, I want to remind you, we don't know how much time we have. We don't. That's why it's vital we live by the light that God shines into our hearts daily. Because who knows? You might think, this is going to be a hectic life trying to do all this. Don't think like that. You say, God will help me do it, but I might not have as long to do it in as I think. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what a joy it is this morning to be yours. 
And I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? The light you need to respond to this morning is this. He must be your only hope. So is there a sinner in the room today? First of all, welcome to the club. But secondly, there's something that separates you from us that you need to come and deal with so that you can be a part of us and the blessing of being Jesus's. It's called responding to him as your Lord and Savior. It is believing the gospel of who he is. Scripture's clear. You must believe with your heart and you must confess with your mouth. You confess that he's Lord. There's no other like him. He stands alone. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He is your appointed Messiah. You must respond there today. You must do business there. There is no other way to get going in the kingdom, to start producing the life and fruit and light, the, experiencing this light, what we're talking about this morning. For the rest of us, Lord, what a joy to feel the significance and weight of this call of the kingdom, but then also to realize it's off the back of Christ. And you will be faithful, Jesus, to shepherd us well. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The one who called you is faithful. He is able to present you spotless and blameless before this Father. To the one who is able, praise God, it's you, Jesus. And our lives are in your hands this morning. I pray, God, that, that we would have a real confidence to lean into the fact that you will be faithful day by day with fresh mercy to lead us home. But, Lord, we do want to take seriously. I want to ask, Lord, that you would just help us in our hearts, again, see the value of the seed and the value of the light. I ask that this would be a, a transformative moment for us, that we would not walk away going, oh, that was interesting. Oh, Lord, I pray it would command a response in us that would help us do worship and diligence and, and, and justice to the word and light coming into our hearts. We ask these things in your name. Give, make us a balanced church. Help us leaning both on both sides of the coin. It's one coin, but help us not neglect one for the other. Help us be a people that prize both, that enjoy this incredible salvation. It's call and supply. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to let us go. Um, so you're welcome to leave, but the, the worship team is going to play. So if you need to go, go somewhere, please do. But I, I do want to take a moment. If you want to respond to the Lord personally, you want to just sing a song of worship and praise for who He is, for the word in, that He shared in your heart, do that. You choose how you end the service today, but the service is officially closed. If you want any prayer, we're here to pray with you. Let's enjoy what it means to be on this journey with Jesus. Thank you. We'll see you next week.